This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Obviously, the Jets know something that, you know, the people up here don't. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Joined by a very special guest tonight to launch our the beginning of this podcast here. We have Scott Mason, uh, one of our writers at Turn on the Jets, who has joined us over the past month or so and has written uh, really a handful of great pieces, particularly diving into Jets history. And you know, due to how popular those articles are, uh, and an idea that really derived from Scott, we're going to be launching a new podcast at Turn on the Jets Digital called Play Like a Jet, where we're going to go through different moments in Jets, Jets history, talk through what was going on then, interview different people who were involved, but I'm not going to carry on about it anymore. I'm going to throw it to Scott, uh, who's going to talk through basically uh, how we're going to launch, when we're going to launch, and, and what to expect with the Play Like a Jet podcast. So wh- what do you got for us, Scott? Well, thanks, Joe, and I'm glad to be a part of your emerging digital empire. Pretty soon you're going to be giving Joe Rogan and Adam Carolla a run for their money. I'm pretty sure of that, and I'm glad to be a part of that. We're going to be starting Play Like a Jet on Friday, and like you said, we're going to be delving into all the biggest moments in Jets history. So it's going to be seasons, games, maybe some drafts player careers even, just like retrospectives of certain popular players in Jets history. And the idea behind it is, like you said, Joe, the history pieces that I wrote leading up to the draft, and then I did the one uh, on the year 1999, and we got such a really, and I was so happy to see this, we got such a great response to it, that it was just an idea that I had that what if we were to turn this into a weekly podcast and kind of go back into these big moments and, you know, go over them head to toe, but the thing about it is I can go back and I can read some stuff or I can tell my own memories, but it's not the same as having somebody who is actually there in the thick of things who can really bring you inside and tell you what it was like to, I guess, for lack of a better term, play like a jet at the time. And so we're going to start out on Friday taking a look back at a year that it's not one that's as well-remembered as some of the other bigger years in Jets history, but it is something that I think it would be instructive to take a look at right now, given the current circumstances of the team. So 25 years ago, 1992, some interesting things going on, but the biggest storyline, and Joe, I'm sure this will sound familiar to you because you've been writing about this almost nonstop for the last two years, the quarterback battle, specifically the veteran versus the young kid last year, We all know Christian Hackenberg, drafted out of Penn State, kind of kept in bubble wrap for a year. He was drafted in the second round. Well, in 1991, the Jets drafted a kid out of the University of Louisville, now Browning Nagel, and Nagel was kept in bubble wrap in 1991. 1992, there was a quarterback battle. He ends up winning it and takes over the reins. So what happened when Browning Nagel took over in 1992 with a young and still emerging receiving core, kind of like what the Jets have now, with an aging running back 
Freeman McNeil at the time, and in this case it would be Matt Forte, with a young tight end who's a rookie, in this case Jordan Leggett back in 1992 was Johnny Mitchell. So there are a lot of parallels and similarities, but what happened in 92? Can we look at 92 and kind of get a glimpse of what we might expect in 2017? We're going to talk about all of that with a wide receiver who was there at the time. He was also the key punt returner on the team. Uh, legend on Long Island at Amityville and also at Syracuse University. Rob Carpenter was our guest, and we're going to have that for you on Friday. Really excited. I will tell you this. Rob Carpenter remembers things. You would never expect somebody to remember things this clearly from 20. And I'm talking about specific plays, not just games, not just moments, just certain catches he had, certain carries that running backs had, interceptions that guys had, or tackles they made. It's amazing what he remembers. And we're going to delve into it in depth. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do it on Friday, and that's what we're going to do every Friday. We're going to start with 1992. And Joe, like I said, just really, really happy to be a part of the, the TOJ digital brand. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're on board with the idea. And I look forward to hopefully many successful episodes of the podcast in the uh, weeks, months, and even hopefully years to come. Absolutely. We're fired up. It's great to be able to kick it off that first episode with Rob. And uh, I think, like you said, that that season in 92 really has a lot of interesting parallels to this upcoming 2017 season. So episode one is going to launch on Friday on our website and on the iTunes feed. It's already available for you to subscribe to. It's Play Like a Jet. Uh, it's labeled, you know, under Return on the Jets Digital. So if you're already subscribed to our podcast or draft season or slight work, it will be very easy to find. Uh, and again, we'll also serve it up for you on the site. So I want to make sure that everybody takes the time to subscribe to that and look out uh, for that episode on Friday. Scott, can't wait to uh, get it out there and then see what other different topics and seasons you take down in the next coming weeks. Thanks, Joe. And I'm looking forward to bringing lots of great and maybe not quite as great, but certainly memorable moments in Jets history each week. And uh, again, appreciate the, the platform and the support and uh, glad to be a part of TOJ Digital. Absolutely, Scott. Looking forward to talking with you again in the coming weeks and looking forward to episode one dropping Friday. And we are back before we get into our normal weekly discussion with Dalbin. I uh, want to remind you guys this podcast is brought to you by Prime Sport, official sponsor, team partner of the New York Jets. Make sure you check out primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets for all the information on their 2017 fan packages, fan experience packages at home games. If you're trying to go to away game, uh, they will have information on different packages that they have together. Uh, if you were trying to go see the Jets in Miami, trying to go see the Jets in Buffalo, wherever. Uh, so make sure to give Prime Sport a follow on Twitter or on Facebook at Prime Sport and check them out at primesport.com backslash turn on the Jets. All right, Dalvin, welcome in here after we had our introduction uh, with a Scott to launch a new Play Like a Jet podcast, which is coming on Friday. Dio, let's, let's talk about OTAs and how important or not important OTAs are. And I think it's always <laughs> interesting about this time of the year, and I think it's important to be consistent with this. I, I really genuinely believe that not all that much of what is happening these days is really going to have much of an impact on what happens during the season. I think it's good that everyone can stay healthy. They're learning a new offense. It's good to have everybody out there together. But, you know, overemphasizing what happens in these scripted, non-padded practices where the media only gets availability to maybe 20% of the total action, 
uh, it's very hard to make assumptions on these things in the negative or in the positive. So, you know, if Christian Hackenberg comes out and throws 55 touchdowns in three practices, that's great. It doesn't really mean anything that he's going to be great for this upcoming year. If he comes out and throws 55 interceptions, also really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean he's going to be terrible this year. So I just always caution against making any bold proclamations or assumptions based on a handful of these walkthrough practices in May uh, so early before the season starts, particularly because uh, we've just seen this before. We've seen Brett Ratliff been great in OTAs. We've seen Kellen Clemens be great in OTAs. Uh, it's hard to get over excited or overly disappointed about anything that's happening so early before the season, no? Um, I think OTAs matter if you like the player, and then they don't matter if you don't like the player, and vice versa. I think you can kind of see things like that, right? Um, you're kind of seeing it with Hackenberg a little bit. Like, every little incremental uh, win that he has, oh, look, he bounced back from almost throwing a pick six to Jamal Adams. Wow, that's great. You know, it's showing that he's actually doing what he needs to do. I had somebody tell me earlier, uh, Kyle, actually, who I think is super smart and super positive and just super positive about the Jets in general, probably more than me. But he said he was like, oh, you know, it's got to be a good sign that he's, you know, competing with McCown. And I'm like, well, it's not really a good sign. Josh McCown is probably one of the worst quarterbacks that, I, that any of us have ever seen. Um, I think OTAs are here's where I think OTAs are important. You're installing a new offense and. I think that there's going to be some wrinkles in this defense that Bowles and Casey Rogers are going to install. And you have probably maybe six new starters, right? Because you have the two safeties. You have Deron Lee, who probably will now be a starter, whereas he wasn't really a starter last last year. It was Aaron Henderson for most of the time. You have uh, Jordan Jenkins and Lorenzo Malden, who will start from day one. Uh, you have Morris Claiborne. You have probably Justin Burris with Buster Screen in the slot. So with the defense, you're going to have obviously all these new starters. I think it's important for that. With the offense... You touched on this a little bit uh, in your in your tweet uh, earlier. We don't know anything about the offense, and so it's important that these guys start to build start to build these habits, and that's what you get from OTAs. But I also think that you can't sit around and say, "Man, OTAs matter," and then the minute that your your favorite player does bad, oh no, OTAs don't matter, or vice versa. I think. I think they matter to an extent, but realistically, you're right. We've seen guys – remember when, when the Jets signed Jacoby Ford from the Raiders and he was just blowing the top off the defense in OTAs and everybody was like, man, listen, like this is it. This is the guy that's going to that's gonna take the roof off the defense, and then he was cut. So, again, I think it, it's so common for guys in shorts to look great. Let's wait till the end of July when the pads actually come on. Exactly. So I think the message is don't get overly excited, don't get overly disappointed – I think when we get into training camp and the preseason, you'll be able to get a better feel for who is performing, who isn't performing, uh, and how the Jets are viewing certain players and how they're going to frame up their offense and defense. You know, I would say, from a quarterback standpoint, you should expect Josh McCown to open training camp as a de facto starter and probably right. initially get most of the reps with the first team. Uh, and it's going to be a bit of an uphill climb for Christian Hackenberg or even Bryce Petty to unseat him. They're going to have to start uh, as a second or third stringer, gradually roll into reps with the first team, and then make a very strong impression in training camp or the preseason. I mean, it's not that the Jets don't want one of the young quarterbacks to play, but they're going to force them to earn the job. And again, I don't. I would not be surprised if we see a situation where McCown starts the season under center, and then after a few weeks, we see Hackenberg uh, at some point. You're going to see Hackenberg at some point this year. I just don't know if it's going to be uh, at week one. And then in terms of some of the other you know, storylines that have been coming out, 
you know, Calvin Pryor missed part of the first week. He comes back. He's running with the third team. I think there's there's a lot of chatter, you know, about how the Jets could sort of reshuffle Pryor and what else could he do now that he's not going to be the primary starting safety. I would really temper expectations for the Jets moving guys like Darren Lee or uh, Jordan Jenkins or Lorenzo Maldon around to accommodate for Calvin Pryor. He is a holdover from the previous regime who they drafted literally two safeties with their two highest draft picks to make sure they were placed. I would not think he is a guarantee to even be on the opening day roster. And if he is on the roster, uh, I don't know how much of an impact I would expect from him. I think the Jets could get by with Rontez Miles as their third safety and Doug Middleton as their fourth safety. I just don't think they're going to be missing that much from Pryor, who's not going to be here after this year anyway. Uh, and then really beyond that, it, it's been encouraging to know that Eric Decker, when he's been there, has been healthy. And it looks like he's going to be on track to play. And I don't think he is going to be somebody who is going to be moved or going to be traded. Whereas I do think the Jets are still probably trying to move Sheldon Richardson. Uh, it came out recently that the Colts were one of the teams they tried to move him to. I just don't think the Jets are getting the type of price tag uh, back that they expected initially for him. So who knows? Richardson may end up staying with the team this year. I, I don't see him ever getting a long-term contract here, but but you never know. And then one other positive thing is uh, Austin Zafarian Jenkins is you know down 30 pounds. Uh, is apparently you know gave up drinking, uh, which is obviously great for him in his personal life, and it has helped him get himself into better shape. And he has been one of the more positive stories uh, of OTAs. But again, it is OTAs. He is suspended the first two games, so I wouldn't project in your head that he's going to catch 60 passes this year. But maybe, just maybe, him and Jordan Leggett could be a competent duo at tight end. Uh, and so the Jets don't have to throw Leggett out there as a fifth-round rookie week one. Uh, any other sort of headlines or storylines that have caught your attention so far, Dalvin? Uh, the Safarian Jenkins news was actually, I mean, just super impressive because I think he's been sober now 129 days. And I thought his interview with Rich Simony was pretty impressive. I think that this is a guy who, and again, the Jets, and this is all obvious speculation, but I would like to think that the Jets are going to take some principles from the Saints and start to use two tight ends, and the Jets are, in my opinion, a much better team if they have Quincy Anua, Ardarius Stewart, and Chad Hansen as the as the three primary receivers with obviously Jenkins and Leggett as the tight ends as opposed to moving Anua from the wide receiver position and putting him as more of the de facto tight end in the Jimmy Graham role. And you're also in turn building a team that's just a bunch of big guys for, for Christian Hackenberg when he eventually takes over. And then of course you still also have Eric Decker, which lessens the need for the, the either one of the two young receivers, either Stewart or Hanson to play a lot right away if they're not ready, especially if they've been nicked up. That's been something that's been concerning too. Just the little injuries. I always worry when I hear those things about rookies, maybe it's PTSD from D Milner. Maybe it's one of those things, but I worry that uh, because they have, they're installing this new offense, and then you're missing OTAs, and you're not getting the reps. Are gonna, are you gonna see some of these UDFA's kind of start to take reps from these guys? This is where a guy like Devin Smith would have came in handy, right? Because again, there was no guarantee, and one of the things that we've learned in the NFL, and particularly in the Jets, is look at Robbie Anderson. He was a UDFA that ended up starting and playing most of the year when Decker went hurt and Marshall was ineffective. So you don't ever want to say, man, they have too much depth. No, this is where you, this is why you don't get rid of a guy like Eric Decker. I've liked hearing uh, just how much of a leader Jamal Adams has been, but it's not unexpected for me. I think one of the things that has been interesting, though, is the kind of the 
the openness that Casey Rogers and Todd Bowles have been displaying, as in particular when talking about Darrell Revis. And that's been surprising because I, I've said it multiple times, I don't necessarily buy anything that Bowles says to the media, but for Casey Rogers to come out and say that they wanted to play Burris more, but they really couldn't. One, I, I part of me is like, okay, you didn't want to upset Revis. I can kind of understand that, but you probably should have done what's best for the team. I wonder if now with the veterans, most of the veterans off this team, will they do that? Um, but that's been interesting, just the candor that they've been speaking with. And, they're approaching the season not like it's a rebuild, and I think that that's impressive, too. The last thing that I think for me has jumped out is just Sheldon Richardson, I, I, and I talked about this a little bit earlier on Twitter, I think Sheldon Richardson has gotten a lot of flack over the last couple of years, um, and some is, some is merited. I think he has not played up to his potential, but the Jets have done him no favors by masquerading him as an outside linebacker, and so I think like, yes, I do think I'm, I'm with you. I think he eventually ends up getting traded. But I think that percentage goes down the the more into training camp we go, just because realistically, what's a team going to give you that is going to be better than the pick that you can recoup if you let him walk and get a comp pick later? So it's just kind of something to think about. But I have, in, I have liked that they have kind of turned the page. They're using the fact that they're called the worst team in the league as motivation. But this seems like in every couple of years, a, case, a reoccurring thing for the Jets. But those are the things that have jumped out at me so far. Yeah, and I think what's interesting is the things that we still aren't talking about yet and that really aren't going to become more of a focus until we get closer to the actual season. If the Jets are going to exceed expectations and be a team who was competitive most weeks, I don't think you know even the largest optimist expects them to be competing for a division title or to be competing for a playoff spot, although I know, Dio, you think you, they, they could be in the mix as well. But let's That's say, right. Let's say if they're going to exceed expectations and be, you know, around 500 this season, what it's going to take is a guy like Muhammad Wilkerson, who was a borderline all-pro player and then disappeared last year, getting back to the player that he was a couple of years ago. It's going to take Leonard Williams going from very good to great for 16 weeks and being a potential all-pro player to pair with Wilkerson. And then, you know, on the second line of that defense – can Darren Lee play like a first-round pick? I mean, these are the money players that the Jets have invested in. So you need Muhammad Wilkerson, Leonard Williams, and Darren Lee to be very good to great. And if they play up to their draft billings and one of those third-round picks at outside linebacker takes a big step, now you have a competent front seven that's going to help any growing pains that are going on in the back end when you're starting two rookie safeties who long-term should be very good, but starting day one as a rookie is going to lead to some growing pains. And a pretty overall weak cornerback position. So if those guys play to their potential, you have a better than expected defense. You're able to hang around and compete most weeks, particularly if your special teams is in a complete train wreck, which it has been the past few years. And then offensively, uh, you know, everything is going to always come back to the quarterback. I do think the Jets have an intriguing amount of talent and more talent than they're giving giving credit for at some of the skill positions. I think there's a good mix of skill sets and big playability in the receiver room. I think if Powell is healthy and I think if Forte is healthy for what he has left in the tank, those guys can make some plays at running back and receiver. It's just who's going to play quarterback and who can be somewhat consistent. I could, Again, with how their schedule opens, I could see Josh McCown being mildly competent enough to helping them get to a 3-3 three and three start. But can he stay healthy? Uh, doesn't matter if you're three and three or four and four or four and five. Are you still flipping the switch to Christian Hackenberg? Because you're probably not going to the playoffs anyway, and McCown's not going to be your quarterback next year. Or can Hackenberg exceed expectations, come out of the gate 
and you know lead the Jets to a better than expected start. So much of that is going to default back to the quarterback position, and if whoever is playing quarterback can protect the football enough to allow the Jets' defense uh, to keep them competitive most weeks, and that's again if that defense reaches their potential. So uh, a special teams is not a train wreck. A defense that plays up to their draft picks billings. This is a defense that has three first-round picks in the defensive line, has a first-round pick at inside linebackers, a first-round pick at safety, a second-round pick at safety. You know, can they play up to that potential and allow the offense to work through the growing pains, or really more specifically the quarterback uh, to work through the growing pains? Because, again, there are some weapons there offensively that hopefully they can find a way to utilize. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I don't think that it's as bad as like a lot of people are saying. Um, I think for me, I I tend to look at things kind of objectively in the sense that I think that there are games that they will win and there are games that I think they're going to end up losing, which is kind of unfortunate uh, in the sense of like there's games that they should win that they will lose and that there's games that they should lose that they will win. That's just kind of the nature of the NFL, right? The, the NFL is king in part because of the parity that they have and week to week it's every, any given Sunday, all the cliches you throw at it, but they're real in the NFL. I think that you see scenarios where the Jets could be very, very good, right? Like on the defensive line, I think if Todd Bowles and Casey Rogers have said that they're going to play Sheldon Richardson only on the defensive line, so I think there are scenarios where you're going to see them be very good. There's going to be some scenarios where you see some position groups be probably really bad, and that, that speaks to the cornerbacks and the quarterbacks in particular, right? Um, do you get anything from the tight end position with Jenkins and uh, with Safarian Jenkins and Jordan Leggett? That's going to be a question because these are, again, you're going to be without uh, Safarian Jenkins for the first two games, and Leggett is a rookie coming from a different offense in Clemson. Uh, is the offensive line going to be better? I think it will. I think the offensive line will be better just because I think the continuity of all of them growing together. I think Beecham is an upgrade over Clady. I think they're going to be fine, right? But it comes down to the quarterback, and it comes down to can you get enough from Christian Hackenberg? Because, again, I, I firmly believe Hackenberg is going to start week one. I think Hackenberg is going to beat him out. I think that Hackenberg is going to have the benefit. And this is kind of where this is kind of where we were talking about this with uh, Geno Smith versus Mark Sanchez. If it's close, you go with the younger guy because the younger guy has the higher ceiling. You've already seen what you can do with the veteran. It was the argument that people made when you should have started Geno Smith over Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think if it's close, I think you go with Hackenberg. Now, if Hackenberg is a complete train wreck this this summer, then no, obviously you go with McCown. But I think I think he's going to be good enough that the Jets feel comfortable playing him the full 16 games, barring injury, and kind of seeing where they are because this is a team that could be sneaky good. And if Hackenberg plays the way a lot of people believe he can play, then I think they'll be fine. I think that. You have to go through these lumps with them, though, and, and I think that's what it's going to come down to. Do the running backs produce? Is Forte used appropriately? I'm not a fan of guys going to the media and saying that they weren't used appropriately, but is does he believe that Morton and Jeremy Bates will use them a little bit better? Bates is somebody that's familiar with him from when they were in Chicago. It's, it's, there's a lot of what-ifs with this team. There's a lot of what about this. There's a lot about what about that. But there are some positions that I think they're going to be very good, and that's going to be very interesting to watch because if the defensive line is as good as we believe they can be, and if the offensive line is as good as I think we both believe they can be, I think that they're going to be okay. Yeah. Again, I think, you know, I noticed this when I was writing about the cornerback position this week. I just think it's something there's not potential at a lot of these positions. It's just that the Jets need a lot of question marks to break the right way for them to be better than expected this year. So you look at cornerback. If the Jets are going to be good at cornerback this year, Morris Claiborne needs to play 16 games. He averages nine games a year. Buster Screen needs to be the slot corner for 16 games. 
He missed a few games last year with a concussion and may be forced to play on the outside. And they're going to need either Marcus Williams, Justin Burris, or Daryl Roberts to step up and show they could be a full-time outside corner. So maybe, you know, one or two of those things break right, right? The odds of all three breaking right probably aren't very high, and you're going to have those questions kind of across the board on the offensive line. Can Kelvin Beecham go back to the guy he was two years ago? Is Brandon Shell ready to play right tackle full-time? Is Wes Johnson ready to play center full-time? Maybe two of those th- three things are a yes, but if one of them is a no, I don't know if they're going to be able to overcome it. So like if Kelvin Beecham gets hurt week one, can they last 16 games with Ben Jelana uh, playing left tackle, even if Brandon Shell is pretty good at right tackle and Wes Johnson is pretty good at center? And that, and that sort of works position to position really outside of defensive line and receiver where I think they have enough depth and talent where even if something like Robbie Anderson doesn't take a step forward in year two, well, then they have Chad Hansen or Darius Stewart or, you know, a new walk does even better than expected this year. And they still have Decker. There's enough sort of fallbacks there where you have other guys who could step up and make plays potentially. I don't know if they always have that uh, at every position across the board. And again, like you said, you know, the biggest thing will sort of come down uh, to quarterback. All right. So, want to remind you guys to subscribe to our newest podcast, Play Like a Jet, Episode 1, launching tomorrow, based on when this is going to go live. Uh, make sure to follow Dolvin on Twitter, at DA underscore Sario. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, at Jay Caparoso. As always, make sure to just subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, uh, Turn on the Jets podcast. And, of course, now, check out our store at theloyalist.com backslash Turn on the Jets. Get that. Give a new on Powell the ball shirt. Send your message to the Jets, right, Dalvin? Absolutely. And and honestly, do it every day. I I bombarded them with draft Jamal Adams messages, and look how well that turned out. So I think, honestly, you just kind of need to do it. Plus, also, if Joe and I happen to run into you at, like, a bar in New York or even a bar down in D.C., because I've noticed that there's a big loyal following of Jet fans down here, then we'll know where you got the shirt. So, yeah, make sure you cop the shirt. I got mine. Or I'm ordering mine today as soon as this podcast is over. We can be twins. Uh, I'll bring you a fitted that you can wear to match with it. Show your love. If I see you out wearing that shirt, you get two free beers on me. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Uh, Have to be Bud Lights, though. But we'll see. We'll figure it out. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week.